the pitch. From King MOX Sports. The Young swings and lifts a high fly ball. It's a grand slam! This is the Meyer Jensen Sports Open Line. Shot clock off. Jumper. Yes! Jimerson for 15 on the baseline. Billikens win! Meyer Jensen, a personal injury law firm. Because sometimes the gloves have to come off. MeyerJensen.com. Touchdown! Kansas City! Now, Sports Open Line on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. A good Friday evening. Welcome into the program. A brand new show intro. That's the first time I've heard it. We all got to hear it for the first time together. Pretty solid. Good good coming in with a little John Rooney, Bob Ramsey, and Mitch Holtus. It doesn't get better than that from a play-by-play perspective. It just doesn't. Uh, glad to have you with us. We are here till 8 o'clock this evening, a Friday edition of the program. As always, if you want to uh, get involved, you can do so by calling, by texting the phone number, whether you want to call or text, 314-436-7900. That's 314-436-7900. Or if you want to tweet at me, you can do so at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T. P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. Speaking of Bob Ramsey, Rammer's going to join us in about 10 minutes or so. Uh, We'll talk with him, St. Louis University basketball. We will also talk with him, Lindenwood football, as Lindenwood has homecoming coming up tomorrow. Uh, So we'll talk, and we may get a little Cardinals in there with uh, Rammer as well. Coming up next hour, we'll talk with a uh, national baseball writer, one of my favorite folks to talk baseball with, uh, Mari Brown. Also somebody who, beyond uh, his ability to talk baseball, he's a business of sports guy and he is an auto racing guy if you want to talk uh, formula one you can certainly uh, do that with it matt pajeski are you an auto racing fan at all no at all not not at all no even Sorry. when the even you know nascar came to st louis this... i i like the idea of it i can't okay. say i actually sat and watched it though sorry <laughs> yeah i don't i don't love it <laughs> but i can i can talk it this uh this weekend NASCAR is uh running at Homestead Miami. Right now there are eight Cup Series drivers who are still alive for a championship. They'll run two more races, this one and then at Martinsville next weekend I believe it is, and then the Cup Series uh will have four drivers that are alive for a championship after that as they go up on their championship race and as mentioned Formula 1, they are running in the United States this weekend. They are down in uh, Austin, Texas. So I don't especially like it. I don't especially watch it, but I can I can talk a little auto racing. I know what's going on in the uh in the auto racing world and I do I do think it's awesome what St. Louis has been able to do uh, in their support of auto racing and what we saw uh, this past year uh, at, at Gateway, which is uh, which is really really cool. So, uh, yeah, we'll we'll as we we'll find some ways to get auto racing in here uh, every once in a while uh, on the program. They are introdu- uh, introducing players right now on the field in Philadelphia, where the Phillies and Padres are playing Game Three of the NLCS. The series is even one one. This is this is cool for Phillies fans. It's been a minute since uh, they have been hosting big-time playoff baseball in Philadelphia. Well, they are doing it tonight, and as always, uh, that first game of the series, you do the uh, full team introductions, and that's what's going on right now. I think this game is, what is this, another 637 first pitch? I believe that's what it's going to be, and uh, we'll keep you updated on that as we uh, go along and continue to uh, talk uh, all things baseball as the season does continue. I'm uh we talked about this. I was on with uh with DGS today for a little bit. 
and they asked me my thoughts on uh, the baseball playoffs, and um, I'm starting to think the Houston Astros are going to win the World Series, and that doesn't that doesn't make me happy. of Of the four teams that are still alive, the um, the, the the Houston Astros are the team that I am least wanting to see win a World Series. That being said, I'm a fan of Dusty Baker. I really like Dusty Baker. I really think he's a good manager. Uh, I think it's he's got received undue criticism for some of the playoff failures of his teams throughout the course of his career. So if I am looking for a redeeming reason to be okay with an idea of a Houston Astros championship, Dusty is the reason. Uh, but that is not uh, overall. I, I'll take the Yankees. I'll take the Phillies. I'll take the Padres over the Astros if I have a uh, if I have a choice. But right now it feels like, and this this could change at any moment. Right now it certainly feels like the Astros are the hottest team. It feels like the Yankees, the team they're playing, is the team that's uh, you know the coldest team right now. So that just. It some of it has to do with who you're playing. We're going to talk about this later on in the program. It kind of I was irked. There's that word again. I was irked uh, because Aaron Boone. I felt like he was complaining uh, after last night's game that the Astros won three two. They got a Bregman home run early and then they were able to hold on. I think it was the eighth inning. Aaron Judge hit a home run that was really deep, but it wasn't deep enough, and it was not a home run and. Boone, after the game, tried to blame the fact that the roof was closed at the ballpark as the reason it didn't get out, and it really felt like. And I, I like I like Boone, but it just felt it felt whiny. It felt like he was complaining. It was not a no doubt home run that all of a sudden brought back in. In fact, according to the Statcast numbers, uh, the way it was, the only ballpark in Major League Baseball that that would have been a home run in, interestingly enough, would have been. Yankee Stadium, but it would have been a flyout everywhere else. I don't know. Like, if 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 you're playing a game at Wrigley one day and the wind is blowing in or the wind is blowing out or, and you lose a game, are you gonna are you gonna blame that? Like, it, it impacts both teams. So I, I didn't love that. I don't love the idea of blaming conditions for things. And maybe I didn't see. Here's something that I'm always really careful on. I read quotes. But sometimes I don't see like the video or listen to the audio of it. And there's context that goes along with it. And you lose context a lot when it's just simply uh, written down. Maybe I I missed out on the context a bit. And if I did, then I shouldn't even be talking about it right now. But uh, I did certainly see that. And I thought, eh, that's that's not a great look from the Yankees manager. All right, uh, we're going to talk some uh, St. Louis University basketball. We're going to talk some Lindenwood football. We'll continue the Cardinals conversation. Bob Ramsey is set to join us in just a few moments. This is Sports Open Line on KMOX. Your home of the Cardinals. Arnato swings and hits it deep to left field. That ball is out of here. The Billikens. Jumper. Yes! Billikens win! The Chiefs. Touchdown! Kansas City! We are America's sports voice. KMOX. Cut clock off. They get it inside. Yes. Jumper. Yes! Jimerson from 15 on the baseline. Bills lead by one. 
I am so ready to be here in St. Louis University Billikens basketball right here on KMOX. Of course, the person behind the mic is Bob Ramsey. You follow him on Twitter at RammerSTL. Bob, thanks so much for the time as always. How are you? Matt, my friend, how are you, sir? I am doing good. You uh, you tweeted out you had some uh, some good time on the SLU campus yesterday, including uh, watching a men's basketball scrimmage. What jumped yep. out at you uh, yesterday when, when watching the guys go? You know, um, let me uh, kind of go uh, backwards to answer that. And I've noticed it, that in a lot of breakdowns from the national media, no one mentions Sincere Parker. And I think in our business, Matt, we sort of automatically and sometimes unintentionally dismiss or even count the unknown about a given team or player as a negative. And, folks, if you're, you're sleeping on Sincere Parker if you don't know how good a player this kid is. And what I like about him, Matt, is he's not a guy that's like a ball hog. And, and you would say, well, that's a shock. A Juco national leading scorer, not a ball hog. He lets the game come to him. But then when he does, it is a lethal strike. He is so much fun to watch. And he's going to be a key part of this team this coming season. There's something about the JUCO guys that dominate junior college basketball, but then also have the ability to, because a lot of times when you are playing JUCO basketball, if you're going to be a D1 transfer, you're the best guy on the floor more nights than than anything else. But then when you get to, if you can make that transition, whereas a guy, you can be part of the team, but still bring that explosiveness. It's fun to watch that. And it seems like there's something about JUCO basketball and what kind of builds you up. It can really play out if everything else works well. And to be fair and balanced, Travis Ford has said, and this is probably generally true to Juco Ball, Sincere has not, um, previous to, you know, working with Travis Ford, has not really maybe committed to defense. And that's something you've got to do if you're going to play for the Billikens. The A-10 announcing the preseason poll, announcing the preseason all-conference teams recently. Did you agree with most of what they said? Disagree? How did you evaluate that? I thought it was pretty reasonable. Um, it was good to see Francis Okoro um, get some accolades as a, as a defensive player. I think what people are missing on him is when you look at the last month, six weeks of the season, he was nearly a double-double guy every night, and he presents – the Billikens with a, a real nice offensive option in the middle. But um, his defense uh, deserved the notoriety, and he got it. So I thought it was good. Yuri Collins, first team and uh, best team all, con- uh, all defense and those sorts of things. I thought it was pretty fair. You mentioned the defense, and you get two players onto the five-man all-defensive team. We've talked so much about the explosiveness of this team and what they can maybe do offensively because that's what you talk about. But from a defensive standpoint, just how good can this team be? Well, I think we mentioned Okoro and Collins. The Missouri transfer, Javon Pickett, he's going to guard you. Fred Thatch is there to guard you. And then you look at um, the scorers. We mentioned Sincere Parker. Gibson Jimerson, uh, uh, Javante Perkins. So can you get the uh, top-notch defense night in, night out from those guys? I I think the answer is yes. I want to believe that. The proof is in the pudding because if you get that kind of defense, you know, um, uh, even if it's, you know, team defense, that 
that I think that that presents the balance that gives a high-scoring team a chance to win most of their games. They're three days away from their exhibition against Umzel. How beneficial can be can one of those games be where you finally get to go against somebody who's wearing a different jersey? Well, in this particular game, I'm a little bit skeptical. Um, it's early, two weeks before the season opener, and um, Bob Sunvold's Umsel team, and everybody knows Sunvold is a great coach, but I think he only returns like two players, some ridiculous number. It's they've only they will have only practiced a handful of days, so um, I think for the Billikens, just learning to run their stuff as a coach would like to say, to run their offense, to play the defense the way they're supposed to, and, you know, really work work on their things almost, you know, like a practice game, like it is. Um, I don't know if we'll be able to take really anything away from the score for either team. I want to talk to you a little bit about Lindenwood football. You uh, you do the broadcast on, uh, on ESPN+. Plus and, um this is obviously just Lindenwood Athletics is a great story, and we've talked about that a whole bunch. They're four and two. Probably that that going to Central Arkansas and getting a three point win there that's pretty impressive. They got a double yeah. overtime win on the road against Eastern Illinois. They're still looking for that first win in league play. I'm not right there like you are, but man, from looking from the outside in, it feels like this year could not be going much better for this team. Yeah, Jed Stewart's got got a, a really terrific program going. Um, Eastern and for those who might be confused, Eastern Illinois is in the conference, but that game had been scheduled prior to Lindenwood joining the conference. So, sort of on a technicality, it doesn't count. But since it's a win, Lindenwood wants to count it, and I'm with them on that. <laughs> um, so now you got Murray State coming in, and this will be a real test because. Uh, Murray may be a little bit down, but you're at home. It's homecoming. You need to win. You need to win decisively to more or less, and everybody's keeping an eye, by the way, on Lindenwood. Um, some of the folks from SEMO thought that, that Lindenwood's program is a sleeping giant ready to emerge in the Ohio Valley Conference. And tomorrow, and a decisive victory would go a long way in, in sort of uh, backing that up. What's the environment been, and tomorrow's homecoming, so it's probably going to be one of the best environments of the year, but can you talk me through what it's like at a home game this year for this program and the support that they're getting? You know, what's really uh, surprised and pleased me is the way the uh, tailgating's been set up and fans have really gotten into the game as an event. And, you know, it's first-year Division One. It's a small stadium, but a beautiful one, folks. If you've never been out there, it's, it's really a great setting. And so it's kind of that, that first year of, of dipping the toe in the water, seeing where we are in growth, you know, six, 7,000 fans doesn't sound like much. And, um, and you could argue it's not, but it makes it loud, uh, loud at Hunter Stadium, and it's going to grow. And as this team wins and Coach Stuger gets this team as a winner – then, then uh, student participation and local fans coming out, you've got to start developing that as the thing to do, and that's how you develop atmosphere. So it's in the early stages, but to answer you more directly, 
I've been very pleasantly surprised. Yeah, it's a really good story, and, and honestly, we probably should be talking about it more. I mean, those last two wins are pretty eye-opening when you, when you think about the, the – those are pretty mm-hmm. solid programs. Central Arkansas wins a lot of games. Eastern Illinois, maybe not as uh, great lately, but you think about all the – that's been a football, like, just powerhouse in terms of people who have come through there. Uh, so the, those are really impressive road wins. Yeah, and as I said, I think um, a decisive victory, I don't want to jinx things, but a decisive victory would um, sort of really put Lindenwood on the map in the OVC, which is a terrific conference. And, and then you've got some veteran players who are, who are, you know, getting to go out on top, so to speak, as the program moved to FCS, and, and, and that's really neat to see. Bob Ramsey continues to join us. We can't get you out of here before talking a little Cardinals baseball. I've asked this to a lot of people since the season came to an end. Have you seen anything in the postseason since the Cardinals have been knocked out that maybe the Cardinals should be using to kind of learn something about themselves or just saying that they need to do that other teams are doing better, uh, that you've seen a, a trait that maybe exists among these teams that are still alive? I think it's offense. Yeah. And when we saw the Phillies during the year, the offense was eh, but you could look at the lineup. They had names, and it just took them a while to get it going. Um, It probably is not fair to try and make comparisons to that unbelievable six-week period where everybody was hitting for the Cardinals, but you've got to find a way to lengthen the lineup. Is it people you already have playing better? That might be one answer. Um, how much do you trust it? And of the candidates to play, probably in the outfield in a DH, of those candidates, who are the ones you trust? And I mean trust, not, hey, well, let's hope. Trust to make those steps forward and the improvement. And can you look at your squad and say, we need to pick up somebody here. We need another bigger bat there. And I think that's the challenge for the Cardinals in the off season. And if you do decide to move people, you know, they've been bitten a little bit by maybe moving a couple of the wrong outfielders. Um, uh, the last through the last few winter winter uh, seasons, um, making the right choices. And it's a, it's a tough spot to be, to be able to predict success, but that's what they got to do. Yeah. I don't want to take anything away from the moves that were made at the deadline because they go on that run in August in large part because of an acquisition of a Jose Quintana because of a Jordan Montgomery. But it's also, you know, during the season we're sitting there looking at Harrison Bader not playing at all with the Yankees. And now all of a sudden we see what he's doing. Uh, we saw Soto and Bell not really do much with the Padres during the regular season. The raw numbers in the postseason aren't great, but they're certainly involved in helping the Padres score runs. And that's the most important thing, no matter what your numbers are. Are, and it almost feels like you can almost look at those moves a little bit differently now because of what those guys are doing in the playoffs. Well, I, you had to have pitching, and I thought the moves were brilliant, and without them, well, you had a nice lead and you won comfortably, and the way the offense was going, you might have won the division anyway, but um, I, don't, I don't think I, I think I don't like the odds on that. So I think those moves were brilliant, but where do you go from here? Um, I know a lot of people feel like you need an ace. I wouldn't mind having another guy, but I don't think you need to add another third or fourth starter. You got plenty of those. Yeah, that's all you got. Can you you get an ace? Can you get a Rodon? And so the thing that's impossible to predict these days is trades. 
who could predict Carson Kelly for Paul Goldschmidt? <laughs> who could pre- predict uh, uh, Austin Gomber for Nolan Arenado? You can't predict deals. Um, so you look at free agency and kind of cherry pick who you would like to get and then kind of identify what you need and see if John Moselak and, and Gersh can make those deals. Um, I think it's clear you need a, a offensive help at catcher. And, um, and I, you know, again, do you count on at least two of your current young players to come through? Or do you feel like you need to go get another one? And I think I think you need two bats because let's say let's say Jordan Walker comes up and becomes a, a viable offensive option. You're still short because he replaces Pujols and the and the and the Cardinals were still short. So as it stands today, I think you need two at two bats in the lineup. Yeah, I agree 100%. We are counting down the days to Monday, November 7th. Slew Wilkins basketball right here. They are going to uh, match up against Murray State that night, a 7 o'clock tip-off, and uh, we look forward to it. Rammer, thanks so much for the time. I'm sure we'll uh, talk to you maybe at least once more time before uh, before we get to that game. Anytime, Matt, and I'm like you and all the fans, I cannot wait for this basketball season to get started on KMOX. Yeah, absolutely. There's Bob Ramsey joining us. We appreciate him uh, taking some time. Follow him on Twitter, at RammerSTL. I meant to ask him because he tweeted about this as well, and we'll talk about more later on. Uh, the St. Louis University women's soccer team, they got a one nothing win. Uh, they are 8-10 champions again. They're looking for uh, much more than that. I meant to ask him about that, and it skipped my mind, but we were going to talk a little bit about SLU uh, women's soccer coming up later on because they are just absolutely rolling right now. My name is Matt Pauley. This is Sports Open Line. we got some blues hockey to talk about. We'll do that next right here on KMOX. Welcome back to the Meyer Jensen Sports Open Line. Swing it along with the left. That's a grand slam for Yadier Molina. This is Sports Open Line on KMOX. Thank you for making us a part of your Friday evening. We roll into the weekend together. Have you for the next hour and 23 minutes, taking you till 8 o'clock this evening. 314-436-7900. 314-436-7900. Call, text if you want to tweet at Matt Pauley on air. M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. The Blues are finally going to play their third game of the season tomorrow. They are in Edmonton for a matchup against the Oilers. So far, so good for the Blues. They are 2-0-0 with a home win against Columbus and then a road win in overtime against Seattle after a morning skate today. A number of uh, Blues uh, coaches and players spoke with the media, and uh, one of the uh, first things that uh, Craig Berube gave was uh, a bit of an injury update starting uh, with Butchnevich. Yeah, we'll see how he is. I think, you know, he's he, he, did, he made out pretty well today, which was a good sign. Is Brown making progress too? Yes, he is. Brownie's, Brownie's really close. So not a lot of major injury issues there, but uh, Butchnevich and Brown both uh, will be back in the lineup probably sooner than later. Uh, here early on with so few games being played at the beginning of the season, they've got to practice and they've got to practice pretty hard and you don't get a lot of intense practices uh, probably this early on in the season coming off of a training camp but something that just the way the schedule is it's kind of dictated that you have to do that and uh, Barubi sounds pretty happy with the way his team was able to uh, practice most recently. 
Yeah, it was good practice, good intensity. I thought we were out there for probably 40 minutes or something, but, you know, real good intensity. I thought guys were dialed in, so, and uh, that's going to be important. We're going to have to play a real solid hockey game tomorrow. So for the Edmonton Oilers, they come in with a 2-2-0 record. They're coming off a really good win against the Carolina Hurricanes their last time out. That was a 6-4 victory. Pretty clear that uh, Berube has a, a lot of respect for uh, what the Oilers do. They, they have the ability to score a lot of goals in bunches, you know, with their speed and their attack. You know, they got some great players over there. We know that. So if you, um, you know... We don't want to get into that run-and-gun game with them because that's not going to bode well for us. You know, we got to make it a tough game on them. we got to make it a predictable game for us, for each other out there, and, um, and we got to check very well tomorrow. What do you think Kane has added to their, their mix? Physic, physicality, ability to score goals, power forward, goes to the net, a good, solid hockey player. And, uh, a new goalie, obviously, this year. You, you you haven't faced Campbell that much, right, over the years? You know? um, not a ton, but we've seen him, you know, obviously with Toronto last year. So, again, you know, we've got to do our job so we get good looks. One of the other storylines about going into uh, Edmonton is an opportunity for Blues assistant coach Craig McTavish to uh, match up against uh, a team that he was the head coach of as recently as 2009. I was looking at this, so this is... This is interesting for the Edmonton Oilers from the moment they got started in 1979 until McTavish's end of his coaching career, or end of his uh, coaching tenure there in 2009, they had a total of eight head coaches. Since 2009, when McTavish is done, they have had nine head coaches. Now, part of that is just today's NHL and sometimes not having uh, a team that is overly successful. And that certainly uh, has been the case uh, with Edmonton here uh, in recent seasons Uh, of all of those coaches, the only coaches who even have uh, records above 500 uh, Todd McClellan, just barely, just barely was above 500 with a 502 winning percentage. And uh, Dave Tippett had a 596 uh, winning percentage, but nonetheless uh, an opportunity for McTavish to be, uh, in what was his uh, former home, a place that he uh, was the head coach. Uh, Craig Berube was asked about McTavish and what he has added to uh, this coaching staff. Oh, it's great. I mean, he's a very composed guy, you know, um, doesn't overreact and, again, you know, thinks things thinks things through very well. And uh, like you said, he's been around a long time, has uh, wore a number of different hats and, you know, was a great player for a long time and won, you know, multiple Stanley Cups. So, it's great having his experience around and uh, his demeanor. And he hasn't been on a bench since '09. It's like getting yeah. back on a bike for him. Or can you tell us? No, the thing is, like you know, the one thing he says is, that, "Man, I forgot how fast it is, and it's even faster now." So it takes a little time, you know, adjust to that and, and things like that. But uh, no, he's uh, he's great, great addition to our uh, coaching staff and our organization. Speaking of not being on the bench since 2009, McTavish spoke to the media as well today and talked a little bit about how the game has changed uh, comparing where it's at right now to where it was at back in 2009. The game has definitely changed since I coached last. I mean, it's, it's, it's taken the game and amped it up on, on uh, steroids, you know, like it's a fast, fast game. Like it's a real uh, more... Uh, attacking, driven, 
that, that I'm seeing anyway. So it's a bit different in that regard. He was asked a follow-up question about why the game has indeed gotten so much faster. I think a lot of it's coaching. You know, a lot of it's driven from coaching. Minor hockey league coaches, too. They're finding new creative ways to create offense through speed and uh, quick attacks. We used to be more play-driven, and now it's more transition-driven than uh, what it was before. But uh, it makes for exciting hockey. He also did a little reminiscing, uh, just looking back at uh, his first time behind the bench as a coach. Well, I remember my first game behind the bench and many years ago, and I couldn't believe how fast it was happening. And I was, you know, it slows down over time, but when you first get back there, I'm trying to think, you know, what's the difference between sitting here and standing here? You know, you'd think it'd be similar, but it's completely different. And, uh, you know, I just was worried about getting my changes out there and end up getting hit in the head by a puck, you know. But things slow down over time, and uh, but uh, it, it's happening fast out there. It's, it's definitely the best vantage point to watch a game is at ice level. But down on the ice, it's a pretty a very quick and violent game. Look, the easy joke to make there, so I'm going to make it because I'm always good for the, uh, the low-hanging fruit of jokes. He was the last NHL player to not wear a helmet. So him getting hit in the head if I was a, on a, with a puck during a game, yeah, it's the same as not wearing a helmet, right? That's To me, that like, that's still wild that they've grandfathered in players who had played when helmets were not necessary, that those guys were allowed to continue to play without helmets. It was... You, you like, apply today's standards to that... And it's so weird. Now, that's something, whether it's sports or anything else, that's one of the most dangerous things any of us can do is when we start trying to apply the standards of current day to something that happened in the past. You just can't do that, and you end up in some pretty tough places when you do. But it is kind of funny still to think about the fact that it really it wasn't all that long ago that he was out there scoring. It was him and... um. Who was the other Blues player? I think it was during the Keenan era. Was it Charlie Huddy? Do I have that right? Charlie Huddy? Was he the other guy that would be out there uh, without a helmet? So the Blues had two guys without a helmet there uh, in the final uh, final time of players uh, playing without helmets. Anyways, uh, one other storyline uh, on this uh, on this game against Edmonton. Uh, Jake Neighbors has deep ties to Edmonton. He was part of uh, a, a junior program in Edmonton that actually played in the same building as uh, the Edmonton Oilers. They won a championship and uh, he was asked about just being back there uh, for the first time yeah it was good it's good to be back I haven't been back since the championship so um, you know obviously in some different situation but uh, you know it's good always good to be back so the memories of that ice surface I mean you played a lot of games there where you guys won a lot of games there with almost no one watching you look back on that as kind of a surreal memory yeah it was definitely uh, you know a weird couple of years there in the middle my first year was pretty normal and then uh, obviously the two kind of COVID years in between and then finally get to see it through in the last year. It was, uh, you know, definitely kind of an odd junior career, I would say, in terms of like fans and, and things we went through. But, um, you know, I've got nothing but great things to say about uh, that organization and the Oil Kings and, uh, you know, love my time there. 
not to just continue to repeat the same stuff over and over and over, but I've said about this Blues team, for them to be better than they were last year, a huge key is some of these younger players really taking step forwards. That includes uh, Jake Neighbors, and uh, he said that right now he is feeling pretty good. Yeah, I think just the comfortability was a lot better for sure, um, just kind of knowing what uh, what to expect and um, just having that little bit more confidence, uh, you know, coming into your second one. So. Um, obviously getting the touches last year, playing my nine games helped a lot, I think, coming into this year. And, um, you know, just trying to keep that rolling. I feel like I've been playing well so far. So, yeah, I think I'm just a lot stronger now. Uh, Bobby's in a lot better shape. Uh, I think anytime you go on those long playoff runs, you're going to take some hits and play through some things. So, um, you know, I was dealing with numerous amounts of injuries, obviously, throughout that run. And uh, it was good to get this offseason and kind of fix all those up and strengthen myself again. Last bit of audio from uh, the media availability after uh, practice uh, today. Uh, sticking with neighbors, he was asked uh, what the team can expect of him. Yeah, I think I got an idea. Um, obviously, the the players and the staff are very communicative and, uh, you know, of what they expect from you and everything like that. So. I think as a young guy, it's about being reliable, doing the details, not trying to be, uh, you know, too flashy or anything like kind of maybe like I was in junior. And, um, you know, it's definitely different different roles, but I think I still try to bring the same tangibles and night in and night out. And, um, you know, anytime I can, you know, trip, chip in offensively at this level is big and, and mostly just focusing on being uh, reliable defensively. The undefeated Blues back at it coming up tomorrow as they are going to take on the Edmonton Oilers. Game two of this three-game road trip. They are finally going to return home coming up next Wednesday when they will once again play Edmonton. If you want to join us, 314-436-7900. That's how you call. That's how you text. We'll take a break and have more in a moment at Sports Open Line on KMOX. Sunday, it's the Chiefs and 49ers, and you can hear the game here. Pre-game coverage at 2, kickoff 325, Kansas City, San Francisco, this Sunday. Touchdown, Kansas City! On your home for Chiefs football, KMOX. Just a few minutes left here in hour number one of the program. We do have a score update for you from the NLCS. It is the Phillies who strike first, bottom of the first inning. Kyle Schwarber hits his second career playoff leadoff home run, and the Phillies have a one nothing lead, a 405-foot shot off the bat of Schwarber against Joe Musgrove, who is still looking to record his first out after Ranger Suarez had two strikeouts and a 1-2-3 inning in the top of the first inning. Not to do play-by-play on you right here, but it uh, will tell you that Musgrove just walked a guy, so one on, nobody outs, and Musgrove is trying to uh, find himself here to here at the moment. At one point this year, Musgrove looked like a guy that was legitimately a Cy Young Award candidate, and then he kind of waned. I I don't know how I feel about the in dugout interview. So like I'm looking up at the TV right now. Ken Rosenthal, Fox, he is in the dugout interviewing Kyle Schwarber. For some like for some reason the optics of that looks weird to me. I guess it's cool, right? Like it's in in reality, it's a cool thing that in the moment you can get reaction. I've never been bothered like during the All Star game and occasional games. They'll have somebody mic'd up in the outfield and they'll be able to hear the broadcasters. I've always thought that was kind of cool. Uh, or you'll have the. Uh, the player who's got headsets on that's sitting in the dugout and you're talking to him uh, during that. I've liked that. But the whole 
Rosenthal being in the dugout thing. I, so what's really the difference? I don't know. There's there's really no difference between that and setting up a pair of headsets down there where you bring somebody over the headsets and talk to them for uh, just a moment. But yeah, Joe Musgrove, he is uh, struggling here in the early going as he tries to uh, put things uh, together. Uh, Matt Pajeski and I were talking about this during the break, the whole idea that the Phillies continue to uh, bat Kyle Schwarber in the leadoff position. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense overall. He's not a big on-base guy. He's a strikeout guy, but it works for the Phillies. And uh, so far this offseason, Schwarber, he's uh, really hitting the ball well. 429 in the um, in the postseason for Schwarber. And he really didn't do all that much against the Cardinals in those two games, but he's been able to uh, get it going uh, since then, uh, to be sure. So, yeah, I this right now, I think this Phillies team is my pick to uh, to win this series. It wouldn't shock me. I, I, any of these four teams could win their series. Any of these four teams absolutely could go uh, win the World Series. There is there is no scenario at this point that would surprise me. The last surprise that was still out there would have been Cleveland advancing, and now that they are out, Phillies, Padres, Yankees, Astros. Take any of them. I, I don't. I don't even know who I would choose. I believe last time I checked, the favorite to uh, win the World Series, I believe, is the Houston Astros. We'll check that and see if the odds have moved uh, at all. Yeah, the Astros have uh, the the best odds. Then the Phillies have the second best odds. The Padres the third best odds, and the Yankees. The Yankees have the worst odds to win the World Series. Of course, they're down two zero in that series, so that has a, a lot to do with that. All right, hour number one of the program in the books. We'll uh, be talking with uh, Mari Brown, all things Major League Baseball, with him next hour. We'll continue to go through what's going on uh, in the postseason, go around Major League Baseball as well, some other stories going on. We'll tell you all about it. Sports Open Line back after the news here on KMOX.